All right, Genesis chapter 27. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. And make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father peradventure will feel me, and shall, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meats and the bread, which she had prepared to the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy, and his brother Esau, as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near, and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. 
Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat, and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise, and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly, and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison, and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, O me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtly, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him, and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shall thou live and shall serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And thus is the reading of God's word. And all his children said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your word unto us that we might see the gospel, that we might see Jesus and all the things that thou hast done to conform us to the image of thy firstborn son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, you can hear by my prayer what the point of this whole (laughs) section is about. It's a very interesting section. Um, Being that Halloween is coming up, people put on costumes. I mean, that's what he has done here. He has dressed himself up to look like his brother Esau. And so what we see set forth here in type and allegory, we can appreciate that what we're going to see is the gospel. We're going to see salvation and we're going to see the blessing of God um, come upon Isaac and how that blessing is conferred upon um, uh, Jacob exclusively by the work of someone else with one exception, and the one exception as it applies to us and as it applies to him is that with wicked hands, we took and crucified and slew Christ. That is man's participation in all of this, and you're going to see that uh, articulated in the story, these things separated out with respect to what Jacob does and with respect to what his mother um, Rebecca does. So we're also going to see the doctrine of election play itself out in here as well. We will see how that which our deacon read from Romans 8.28, how that all things work together for good to them that love God. Qualifying statement, 
to them who are the called according to his, that would be God's purpose. Jacob is the one who's called here in this, uh, well, in the scripture. He was the one who is predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, and he represents all of the elect. At this point, he does not yet love God, but he is called of God, and he is predestinated of God. As it says in Romans 8.29, it talks about people being conformed to the image of Christ. And Christ in Romans 8.29 is said to be their brethren. And I want you to appreciate that relationship that you have with Christ as he calls you his brother. In Hebrews 2.12, it says that he is not ashamed to call them uh, our brethren. It is to his image that we are being conformed to. And so I want to state the obvious here is that not all things work for good to everybody, to all people. They are not going to work out for Esau's good. He is not predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And you'll hear people use that statement when you make a mistake. They'll say, oh, it's all good. And every time they say that, I think to myself, no, it's not all good for you necessarily, but it's all good for me because I love God and I am loved of God and I am predestinated to be conformed to his image. So I know how this drama is playing out between the two of us. It's working for my good. And I pray it works out for your good as well. But with respect to Esau, this is not working out for his good. Um, now, before again, I want to point out some dysfunctionalities with respect to um, Isaac's family. Uh, our deacon also took it upon himself to, receive, to read that section where it talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what's happening here. Everything is working out here according to God's good pleasure and according to his will. Not the sin, but the end product is that Isaac um, will bless Jacob. Now, when you see these things, I hope you can appreciate with respect to the dysfunctionality in their family. I hope you can see yourself in it and maybe uh, your family as well. Every family, as, our, as a pastor I used to listen to, sit under, would say everybody's family is jacked up. Everybody's family has its issues. And so what we see here is also typical of what takes place in other Christians' family. And what it does is it further illustrates our need for God's grace and mercy every step of the way on a daily basis. Now, I want us to appreciate that as this story begins in their life back in Genesis 25, 23, that Rebecca has had it from God that there are two nations that are within her womb, two manners of people that shall be separated from her bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Now, Probably, like most people would um, infer from that, is that um, Esau is the stronger of the two people and not Jacob. We, we get a description of that Jacob, uh, Esau is a man of the field. He's a hairy man. His name infers that strength. Hair is uh, associated with the strength of, of men. Uh, and Jacob is a smooth man. That's how he describes himself here. But we can also appreciate that in terms of the way he um, is set before us here. Um, and because... Esau is the stronger person, that she would probably believe that he would be the stronger of the two people that's inferred here when God told her about what was going on in her womb. However, God did say the elder shall serve the younger, and she should have hung on that promise and paid attention to it throughout the life of her children, and particularly when things develop here in chapter 27. God was telling her that Esau, the elder, is going to serve Jacob. And that's exactly how the blessings flow here in Genesis 27 in terms of what Isaac confers upon um, Jacob. 
Both parents, as we move into 27, ignore what the Lord has said, and um, they move to confer the blessing on their favorite child. Scripture tells us that Isaac uh, loves Esau. We read that in uh, Genesis 25:28 that Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loves Jacob. And you'll notice that when I was reading here in, in uh, 27, it refers to Esau as um, Isaac's son. That's verse 5. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, that Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son. There makes a distinction here. And so it's these little subtleties in the scripture that help us appreciate where the hearts of the parents are. One, the father's heart is with the firstborn, and the mother's heart is with uh, Jacob. Um, so these little things help us appreciate where their hearts are and what direction that they want things to go, in spite of what God has already told them, how the blessings will be conferred. Um, later, uh, which we talked about last week, we can see that Rebecca manipulates her husband Isaac into sending Jacob to her brother Laban's house be- to find a wife because, one, she doesn't want him marrying the Canaanite women, but also she's confirmed, uh, concerned that Esau is going to kill him. And so she manipulates events to get him sent away to preserve his life. And as I mentioned last week, she pays the consequence of that because she doesn't get to see her beloved son again. There's no mention of it in Scripture. Now, Everything that's taking place here, everything is rooted in sin. It's all colored in sin. Romans 14, 23 says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So I don't see anybody in here operating from a perspective of faith. Not Isaac, because he should have paid attention to the promise. Not Rebecca, should have paid attention to the promise. Esau, um, he's going, well, I'm going to leave Esau alone here. I don't see any problem with him. He's simply obeying his father. And Jacob, of course, is part of this deception that he goes to the father. So um, Jacob, I want us to appreciate, when you look at his life, he's everything a Christian should not be at this point in his life before his conversion. While he's in the womb, we read that he is struggling with his brother. At birth, he reaches out and, and grasps his brother's heel um, later, he takes advantage of his elder brother's appetite and desire to have the things of this world. And with a um, bread and a pottage of lentils, he purchases his brother's birthright, the right of the firstborn. Later, we see that he's going to, this is in Genesis 27, he's going to lie to and deceive his father so as to receive the blessing associated with the firstborn, the son that Isaac loves. And he's going to be kissing his father whilst in the midst of a lie. In verse 12 of chapter 27, we see that his apprehension about this deception is not rooted that it is wrong to lie and to steal, but that he might get caught and suffer the consequences of getting caught. In other words, like a lot of people that that go to prison, they are um, upset and angry that they got caught They're not angry and upset that they stole from somebody, uh, committed bodily harm against somebody. So their repentance is really misplaced. It's it's really about themselves. And so that's what Jacob manifests here. He's afraid he's going to get caught and suffer consequences. Not that what he's doing is wrong uh, and injurious to his brother. Now, the result of all of this that Jacob does up to this point is that he must flee to a distant land to preserve his life, where he reaps what he sows, what he has sown when he is there. But God is continuing to work out all things for the good of Jacob. 
While he's in Peyton Aram, he gets duped into working for two wives, where he also picks up two concubines, and his life gets very complicated as a result of all of that. Laban, his father-in-law, changes his wages ten times. Ten just represents a number of times. So Laban, um, his father-in-law, changed his wages a number of times. And yet it is through dubious means that Jacob is able to transfer Laban's wealth to himself. And then he finally flees Laban, and when Laban catches up with him, he expresses, expresses righteous indignation that Laban would come out after him and, and catch him. They work through that, and then while he's continuing on his way home, he gets to a point where he meets with Esau, and uh, when he knows he's going to be confronted by Esau, still fearing for his life, not believing the promises of God, he sends his servants and flocks before himself in waves uh, to meet Esau so that Esau's uh, uh, wrath will be assuaged and Esau will not kill him. Now, Again, all of this is indicative of his failure to trust in God's promises. And this is something that is very common for us. Do you really believe that every situation that you're facing, however imperilous it may be to your health, is really working for your good? Do we not all kind of start to wring our hands and and wonder whether or not God is really doing what's best for us, as painful as that may be? Um, do you believe that God will never for, uh, leave you nor forsake you? When you're in the uh, trenches and when you're in the ditch of despair, do you believe that God has forsaken you? Um, do you believe that he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ? That's Ephesians 1.3. That is a wonderful promise as you read through that section there. Do you really believe that God has given you all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Do you believe that God has given you, or that Christ has given you, his birthright? Do you really believe that you are heir of all things, which of course would be eternal life? And if that is true, if you believe these things, why would you fear death? Why would you fear death if you believe that you have all of these things? Because we can appreciate as Christians that death is the portal by which we enter into um, the realization of all of those blessings. Now, given Jacob's behavior, as I've articulated kind of his path here, we would ask ourselves, why did God love and bless Jacob? I can't find any reason in terms of his conduct and behavior. And as I've shared with us in the past, that's true of all of these saints that we've looked at, Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob, that these fellows behave themselves in such a way that I don't find them very sympathetic characters, particularly when um, set against the non-elect. Well, the answer to the question is, why did God love and bless Jacob? Is because he's God and he's sovereign and he simply conferred it upon him. And our deacon read that in Romans 9:11b, where he read that the purpose of election might stand not according to works, but of him that calleth. God, before Jacob and Esau were born, had confirmed that, confirmed that love or conferred that love upon Jacob and not Esau. Before they'd been born, before they had done any works, God said, nope, it's going to be Jacob. So we can appreciate, again, the doctrine of election here. In terms of Jacob, in Romans 9.23, it speaks about vessels of mercy. Jacob is an obvious vessel of mercy. God is made out of the same lump of clay, Jacob and Esau, One is a vessel of mercy, and one is a vessel fitted for destruction. And our sovereign God can do that from the same lump of clay, which he demonstrates to us in an allegorical sense 
with respect to Jacob and Esau. And he does this so that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. That is Jacob. And so God has confirmed his love upon Jacob as he does upon all his elect without consideration of what kind of a person they are going to be until such time as he begins to pour his love into their life in a tangible way and conform them to the image of his son. So all of the elect, like Jacob, are lumps of clay in the potter's hands to be molded or conformed to the image of Christ. And so God superintends over the affairs of all men to that very end. Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau, as I said, they're all steeped in sin, and they're working together for Jacob's eternal good. Now, as this drama unfolds, we're going to see the gospel set before us here. And so here's who the characters represent in the context in which I'm going to present them, because it shifts, as do all shadows and types. You move this, when the sun moves to a different location relative to us, your shadow looks a little different, and so it might represent a different aspect of the gospel. So Isaac, in this case is going to represent God the Father who's going to confer the blessing. Esau is going to represent the beloved son of the Father. And in the context in which I'm conferring it, the first half, he's going to represent Christ. Later, he's not going to represent Christ, but initially he's going to represent Christ. Rebecca is going to represent the, the Holy Ghost whose commandments must be followed. And Jacob is going to represent the elect, and he's going to represent, of course, a vessel of mercy. This blessing must be received, and like all good stories, if you go, if you watch a movie and you were to understand about writing screenplays, all good movies have a time element built into it. Something has to be done before a certain period in time. So this thing opens up here, and Isaac says, hey, he's old, and my eyes are dim, I don't know when I'm going to die, so I better confer this blessing upon you. And also, so it's got to be done before Isaac dies, and it's got to be done before Esau returns. He's sent out to the field, and this drama's got to take place before Esau returns. Otherwise, everything's just going to fall apart. So there's a time element to do this. If you are to receive God's blessing, you must receive it before you die and or before Christ comes. Because when it does, it's over. Um, after that, it's too late. As it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Right now, today is the day of salvation. Christ could come at 11 o'clock and it's over. So, what is required to receive the blessing of the Father? What is required to receive the Father's blessing that is due the firstborn? You must be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ, the firstborn. He is God the Father's Firstborn, he is God's first begotten son. He's God's only begotten son. Now, I want to make a distinction here for people that have um, have an inclination towards what is taught by the Roman Catholic Church. Let us remember that Jesus was Mary's firstborn son. She was not. He was not Mary's only begotten son. Mary had other sons named James, Simon, Joseph, and Judas, and then it says other sons and daughters, but. He is God's firstborn son and only begotten son. Um, in Colossians 1.15, the Lord helps us to appreciate that and makes a distinction here. In Colossians 1.15, it speaks of Christ. He is the image 
of the invisible God, quote, the firstborn of every creature. Down in verse 17, it's going to say, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So firstborn can mean a couple of things. Uh, right now in context here, it means the one who was born first. But it also means the one that has the preeminence, and Christ certainly has that. Not only is he first begotten from the dead, other people have been raised from the dead, but not with glorified bodies. They all went back to the grave. Christ, Jesus himself, was the first begotten or firstborn from the dead, and that he had a glorified body. He did not go back to the grave. But he also has the preeminence in all things. And so we must be conformed to the image of he who has the preeminence, he who is the firstborn. So, simply stated, to receive this blessing, as we see here in Genesis chapter 27, is you must put on Christ, or rather, you must have Christ put on you. And that's what we see taking place here in Genesis 27, verses 15 and 16. It says, And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, that would be in the father's house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. Those would have been the kids of the goats taken from his father's flock. God is providing everything that is required here for Jacob to be conformed to the image of the firstborn son. And mom is doing all the work here. So Jacob is dressed like the firstborn. He feels like the firstborn. And he smells like the firstborn. He comes with goats. He comes with a meat offering. He comes with bread. And he comes with a drink offering, both which, of course, represent the body and blood of Christ. Now, what we see here respecting Jacob's conformity to the image of the firstborn of his firstborn brother is true for all the saints, all of which, of course, are vessels of mercy. We all have to be conformed to the image of Christ, our brother, who is the firstborn of all creation. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For both he that sanctifieth, that would be Christ, he's the one doing the sanctifying, and they who are sanctified are all one for which he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So again, I want us to appreciate that Christ calls us brethren, and we are united and we are one with him, being conformed into his image. So, with respect to these brothers here, Jacob and Esau, we read in verse 28 of Genesis 25 that Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see these two different um, parents here, these parents here, each desire to have their own um, will fulfilled um, based on personal motivations and not with respect to the blessing that God has already said would take place, that the elder would serve the younger. And so with respect to the sovereignty of God, we read in Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. So while Isaac and Rebekah devise different things here, the counsel of the Lord is going to stand. And the counsel of the Lord is that the elder shall serve the younger. In Psalm 3311, it says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. It's reaffirming what I've just shared with you. God's will will prevail. 
In Isaiah 14, 27, it says, For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, who shall disannul it? Obviously, the answer is no one. You can think and do whatever you want. You can devise whatever means and agency you can to change the course of events, but it's going God's way, period. Jacob is a vessel of God's mercy, and he will receive God's mercy and his blessing. Now, Isaac gives instructions to Esau what he is to do, and Rebekah, like every good mom, knows what's going on in the house. She pays attention. She overhears it. And so she goes into action mode where she's going to try to manipulate events that they will go her way. Now, what she should have done, she should have sat down and had a nice conversation with her husband and reminded him of God's proclamation about who would receive the blessing. Now, that is what a godly woman should do, and a godly husband should listen. In uh, Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, we read about how Christians should behave one towards another. In verse 21 of Ephesians 5, it says that we should submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And that submission is to be willful. It's a willful submission. You should desire to submit yourself to fellow Christians. And then in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Again, that's a willful submission. So husbands and wives sit down and they talk about things and they should uh, be talking about and prayerfully seeking the Lord's will and they would remind themselves, hey, the, the elder shall serve um, the younger. And then Ephesians goes on there and it continues about how a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. At the very least, a husband would sit down and listen to his wife. If he loved her like Christ loved the church, the very least he could do would be to listen to her and consider the things that is set before him. Um, but that's not what they do because, again, it's a dysfunctional household, which for Rebecca, her dysfunctionality started with the house that she was raised up in uh, under um, uh, Bethuel, uh, her father. And if you read some of the details, um, it talks about who's running the show up at that house. Things are not the way they should be. So, knowing the time and element that's in play here, um, Rebecca issues some instructions. In verse 8 of chapter 27 of Genesis, she says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Today, like right now, you need to take care of business here because if Esau returns before this is done, you will be outside of the blessing. You will not receive it. Verse 11 and 12, and then she says, do that according to which I command thee. Now that's a very strong word, command thee, because it's the same word that God gave Adam when he said, you know, he was commanded not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 11 and 12, we have resistance and we have pushback, and she comes back in in verse 13 and says, only obey my voice. And as a type of the Holy Spirit here, again, I want us to appreciate that the world's going to be telling you all sorts of things. You're going to get all sorts of noise, but you are to obey the Holy Ghost and do what the Holy Ghost says. You will only receive God's blessing if you obey my voice, meaning the voice of the Holy Ghost, who convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, consistent with this, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that was the chorus that we read in, uh, or we sung in our hymn here, To God Be the Glory, where it talks about the uh, great things that God has done and that, um, just, uh, 
I thought the people rejoice. I'm not going to be able to find it. It's right in front of me here about going to the Father. You only go to the Father. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. We only come to the Father through Jesus the Son. That's exactly what Jesus says here. Of course, the hymn is obviously built on that, that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So for Jacob to go to the Father for a blessing, he must do so by going through the firstborn, looking like the firstborn, smelling like the firstborn, feeling like the firstborn, which is Esau. In our case, it's you must go to the Father through Jesus Christ. Again, a very simple and straightforward gospel truth that we see played out here in Genesis 27. Verse 8, she says, about doing things according to which I command thee. Now, Again, God commanded Adam to do a certain thing, which he did not do, and what was the result of it? It was death. God commanded Noah, a type of Christ, to do certain things, and he obeyed, and what did that lead to? It led to life for him and all of those that were in the ark with him. So Noah did according to all that God commanded him, and that led to life. Adam disobeyed, and that led to death. You can see that summarized in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Now, with respect to everybody else in the world, 1 John 3, 23 says, and this is his commandment, that would be God's commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jacob must obey his mother's voice, and she does everything except fetch the goats. She does everything except fetch the goats. And she says in verse 9, Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids from the goats, and I will make them savory meats such as thy father loveth. Two good kids from the flock, from the father's flock, and she'll take care of everything that needs to be done here. Jacob will bring nothing of his own to the father. Nothing of myself, I forget how that hymn goes, only saved to the cross I cling. Um, we bring nothing to Christ. In verse 14, we see that his mother is going to prepare them. In verse 15, his mother takes goodly raiments, goodly raiments of her eldest son, the firstborn, which were with her in the father's house, and she puts them on Jacob. She puts in skins of the goats upon him. She dresses him up like the firstborn, and he's only got one place to go at this point, and that's to the father. It's all done by Rebecca. It's her idea, her plans, and her hands, and she says that she bears the responsibility for this whole thing. Again, you can appreciate the types here of um, what takes place. The only thing she didn't do was the fetching of the two good, two good kids from the father's flock. Jesus was taken fetched, if I can use that language, from his father's flock by human agency, by wicked hands. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, and he was delivered over to be slain um, so that we might be clothed with the garments of salvation, which the Lord talks about in Isaiah 61:10, that we are clothed with the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. And he affirms it again in Revelation chapter 9, verses 8, to help us appreciate this symbology. It, was, it says here, and to her, that would be the church, that would be the elect, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, we're seeing that take place here in Genesis 27, but the same thing took place at the cross, helping us to appreciate what takes place in terms of us being clothed by 
Christ. Um, while Jesus is on the cross, his garments are literally being parted out to people, with the exception of the raiment, the one raiment that he had that did not have any seams in it. That one was cast by lot to one individual. And who got it? Well, whomever the Lord had ordained would receive it. In Proverbs 16.33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. A sovereign God had determined who shall receive that representative garment of salvation, which is symbolic of God's imputed righteousness. It's symbolic of God's imputed righteousness, just like what we're seeing take place with respect to um, Jacob here. It's a symbolic, putting the goats on him is a symbol um, of God's imputed righteousness uh, to him. Now, with respect to this deception that's taking place here, Jacob pushes back in verse 12 and says, My father peradventure shall feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. In which Rebecca says, no, the curse will be upon me. So I hope you see that as a type of Christ where she's shifting here in terms of who she represents. But I want us to appreciate this. Whose idea was this anyway? Was this Jacob's idea? The fact that you have righteousness imputed to you. Is that your idea or is that God's idea how this should work itself out? Who was the one that clothed you? Did you close yourself or were you clothed by God? And what were you clothed with? Were you clothed with fig leaves or were you clothed with animal skins? I'm obviously alluding to that which took place in Genesis chapter 3. Who was the one who dressed you? Were you clothed, well, like I said, by works, by self-righteousness, or were you clothed with the righteousness of God? What were you clothed with? And as I said, who was the one that clothed you anyway? People who clothe themselves in their own righteousness are deceivers. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So I want us to appreciate it. It is God that has determined the plan of salvation and the methodology by which it's all going to be called out. It is God who has determined to conform some people, the elect, to the image and likeness of his son, his firstborn son, Jesus Christ. And God will not repent of it. He knows who we are. He knows what great sinners we are. Remember, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of whom we have to do. And when in this state of sin, that is when he conferred his love upon us. As while we were sinners, Christ yet died for us. Um, I want us to also appreciate, because this is a strange thing. But you remember back in Genesis 23. I don't want this point to be overlooked. It was God who clothed Adam and Eve with the skins. It says there that he dressed them. It says the same thing here about Rebecca. She puts the clothes on um, Jacob. Verse 15, and Rebecca took goodly raiments of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. Now, it's not like he's a five-year-old being dressed here by his mom. So the language here is indicative of that. God does everything required to conform us to his son. That's the point I want you to get. God uses language, a peculiar language at times, to help us appreciate these things. Now, when Esau returns from the field, all things are made known about this deception. And what is Isaac's response? How does Isaac respond? 
he repents not. In Hebrews chapter 12, where it describes Esau as a profane person and a fornicator, when you get to verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For ye know how that afterwards, that means afterwards this deception took place, Hebrews 12, 17, ye know how that he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. People often think that means that um, Esau was the one who repented. No. Esau was trying to get his father Isaac to repent. He sought it carefully with tears. We read in Genesis 37 how he was weeping before his father. Isaac would not repent and switch the blessing back. Isaac does not repent. Isaac knew that what had transpired was God's plan for the elder shall serve the younger. And the blessings he conferred upon Jacob comport with that perfectly. In verse 28 and 29 of Genesis 27, we read that very thing. In verse 27, and he came near and kissed him, and this would be Isaac kissing um, Jacob, and he kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. Verse 28. Therefore, God give thee the dew of, he- of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons, that would be Esau, um, bow down to thee. Cursed is everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Isaac understands and appreciate that this has gone according to the way God said it would go all the way back in Genesis 25 and so that he will not repent. Again, as a type of God, we read in Romans 11:29 where it speaks of God. It says, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Once God has conferred his love upon you, there's not a thing in the world you can do to take that blessing away. You can go out and be the fool and do whatever sin that you are prone to do and should not do, and God will not withdraw his his spirit from you. Your salvation is secure in Christ. Nothing, nothing, not even yourself, can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So as this family drama closes out here, uh, Esau tearfully laments, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Hast thou but one blessing, my father? And the answer is yes. There is but one blessing, and that blessing is to receive Christ. Christ is the blessing. For to receive Christ, to receive that which would be from the firstborn is, and to be conformed to his image is to receive eternal life. It is to receive all that is his, all that is the firstborn. In Hebrews 1, 2, it says very simply that Christ Jesus is appointed heir of all things and what is his is yours as joint heirs with him. So there is only one blessing to be received, that's which we see laid out here for us in Genesis 27. By virtue of all the work that uh, Christ has done, the work between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, everything that Jacob receives, everything that the elect receives, 
is that which the firstborn would receive, and it's all performed by somebody else. Jacob is simply the recipient of this wonderful blessing that uh, typifies what all the elect receive by the grace and the mercy of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.